Hello and welcome to another episode of Five Questions with the CEO. I'm here today with Rem Kortebeck, a senior research fellow here at the Center for European Reform, and we're going to discuss the South China Sea. Let's delve right in with the first question. Could you give us a little bit of background on the region, Rem? Why is the South China Sea so contentious? So the South China Sea is a maritime choke point. Approximately one third of all global trade, as measured by volume, passes through the South China Sea. If you look at the map, Chinese factories, but also Japanese manufacturing hubs and Korean factories that produce all of the goods that we consume here in the West have to transit through the South China Sea. Also, a large part of Chinese, Korean, Japanese oil consumption has to transit through uh, the South China Sea for, coming from the Middle East. So it's a very strategic waterway. At the same time, there are very rich fishing grounds and there is the expectation that a lot of oil and uh, and gas deposits can be found at the bottom of the sea in, in, in wells. And besides that, the South China Sea is now increasingly politically or geopolitically relevant because there are various competing claims over the reefs, islands or rocks, the uh, territorial features that uh, are, are scattered around the South China Sea. So we talk about various island groups, the Spratly Islands, the Paracel Islands, and the littoral states bordering the South China Sea all have competing claims over this. And one of the most expansive claims is the Chinese claim, the so-called Nine-Dash Line. Approximately 80% of the South China Sea is covered by this Chinese claim, and that, of course, makes the neighboring countries very nervous. And China has been uh, building structures and has been reclaiming land on a variety of these territorial features and has installed radars and so this is also making the United States increasingly nervous because the United States has treaty obligations to a number of states in the region, just to mention the Philippines as a, as a crucial one. So this month, a few days ago, the Permanent Court of Arbitration, an international tribunal, has ruled against these Chinese claims to control over, over the water and the resources and has instead sided with the Philippines. Can you explain how that ruling came about and why it is significant? So what the Philippines did is it went to the Permanent Court of Arbitration under the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Seas to challenge the Chinese interpretation of its claim over the South China Sea. And the Chinese claims overlap with the Philippines claims. And one particular element that has sparked a lot of tension is the Scarborough Shoal. And the Philippines claims the Scarborough Shoal as being part of its exclusive economic zone, meaning that it has exclusive rights to extract the resources in and around that feature. And China uh, says that the Scarborough Shoal is in fact part of its nine-dash line claim. And what the Philippines has done is basically to say, well, um, we'll have international law decide on uh, whether that claim from the Chinese is valid or not. Now, China has decided not to recognize this court and so effectively didn't participate. However, China has remained adamant to say that it has historical claims over these islands. What the ruling decided, and this ruling was published two weeks ago, it basically said, and I'm going to quote here, 
that there is no legal basis for China to claim historic rights to resources within the sea areas falling within the Nine Dash Line. Now that's a very strong statement. So what that does is basically give the Philippines a tremendous diplomatic boost in saying that the Chinese are pursuing an expansionist policy in the South China Sea, and it creates the risk. On the one hand, now that the, we have an international legal ruling that sides with the Philippines, but the Chinese say that they are not going to respect it. That we enter this juxtaposition between, on the one hand, the force of international law, and on the other hand, the force of the powerful, because obviously China has a much larger military and has a much larger economic weight in the region, and that's the dilemma, the diplomatic tightrope that we're going to have to learn to walk in the coming months ahead. So, as you say, this is about more than just international law; it's a diplomatic tightrope. What's really interesting to look at is how the countries involved, how the stakeholders react to this decision. Should we look at the region first? How did the ASEAN countries react to the tribunal's ruling? So the ASEAN summit just recently took place, and in a show of a diplomatic victory for Beijing, ASEAN failed to mention the South China Sea ruling in its final statement. Now that doesn't mean that ASEAN is not concerned about this, but that ASEAN cannot reach consensus about how it should approach this ruling. Countries like Cambodia or even Laos, which are generally very pro-Chinese, are able to block much stronger wording originating from countries that are very concerned about Chinese behavior, such as the Philippines. So the fact that they weren't able to say. That they disagree with Chinese behavior doesn't mean that there are a lot of internal frictions within ASEAN. But of course, it is a diplomatic victory for Beijing. On the other hand, we can look at a statement which was published yesterday on July twenty-fifth by、uh, the United States, Australia, and Japan, which is a lot stronger. They say that this ruling, this arbitration ruling, is. Quote final and legally binding on both parties. So regardless of whether China participated in the procedures or not, it should be held to the ruling. Again, the 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 Americans, the Australians, and the Japanese point out that this is a crucial opportunity. For the region to uphold an existing rules-based international order. Another collection of countries that a lot of people have looked to in this case and have expected a reaction from is the European Union. Why is it interesting to see what the EU is saying about this? So the European Union is, of course, half a world away. The best way to describe the European response is rather tepid. So the EU has a great interest in maintaining freedom of navigation through this crucial choke point for obvious economic reasons. At the same time, the EU, if anything, is a group of countries that thrives if there is an international legal order. And questioning of that international legal order is important to the European Union. So the EU, in its declaration、uh, in response to the arbitration ruling, simply said that it acknowledges the result of of the ruling. It doesn't say that it calls upon the states to abide by it. It doesn't make any case that putting pressure on China. And the reason for that again is that diplomatic tightrope that not only countries in the region but globally countries will have to walk because of the sheer size and weight of China economically and politically. 
And the EU has uh, every interest to avoid ruffling Chinese feathers on this, but at the same time it is pushed into uh, reconciling these different interests between, on the one hand, the economic relationship with China, and on the other hand, maintaining good relations with the neighbors in, uh, in, in Southeast Asia, as well as managing what this does to the international legal order. Another issue I would recall is that uh, it was Croatia, Hungary and Greece that prevented a much stronger worded statement. And we are all familiar with the divide and rule tactics or rather the, the checkbook diplomacy that China has been accused of also in Europe by basically foreshadowing very beneficial investment perspectives for a number of Central and Eastern European countries. And I wouldn't discount the possibility that the prospect of Chinese investment into Central and Eastern Europe has played a role in pushing back against a much stronger EU statement on the South China Sea. So in practical terms, it means that the European Union has taken a very uh, light touch to, uh, to a ruling of which you could have expected it to be a little bit stronger. At the same time, the EU is absolutely consumed by problems closer to home, and so it's not surprising that it is going to be slightly irrelevant in the aftermath of this ruling. The bottom line is that this is a missed opportunity for the European Union. So in light of these divisions and of all the different claims, what do you think is going to happen next, if I'm going to ask you to predict a little bit? What we are seeing right now is that cooler heads are likely to prevail. So the Philippines has a new president, and that president has struck a much more moderate tone in its engagement with China and has just assigned a special envoy with Beijing, a very seasoned former head of state, to try to manage bilateral relations. The United States, despite a very strong worded statement, has also said that bilateral talks should take place between the Philippines and China. And of course, the EU hasn't struck a very strong tone with, uh, with respect to the ruling, and so is also playing for time, I would say. But there are a number of possibilities that can lead to further escalation. One thing that has been discussed is whether China will now declare an air defense identification zone over the South China Sea, basically forcing every airplane in that region to register with, uh, with Chinese air command before it is able to, to transit the South China Sea. That would be a military escalation. At the same time, the United States has been pursuing so-called freedom of navigation operations. These are military operations close to some of the contested islands to claim that there is still freedom of navigation regardless of the territorial and maritime claims. What we could see now, because the ruling effectively says that there is no exclusive economic zone or territorial waters related to these controversial islands, that the United States could decide to sail closer to these reefs than it has done up until now. That in itself would also be an escalation. So even though I I suspect cooler heads will prevail for the short term. We cannot rule out that this will be a major issue of geopolitical tension in the months and years to come. Thank you very much for that, Ram.